We don't have audio. We need audio. Unmute yourself. Hello. Can yeah, you hear me now? Better. Yep. Great. Okay. So this is going to be much more enjoyable, though, because last time I had like 10 hours of material that I delivered in about an hour and a quarter. So it was a very... Uh, Intense now. Now it's uh, going to be much more relaxed. We have three hours for ten hours worth of material, so it's uh, it's great. It feels much better. Okay, um, that was one thing. So we're only going to cover obviously one part of what we want to talk about. The other thing is being that the third shear is on Hanukkah, we're going to save the best for last. We're going to actually all into Hanukkah Greece all the way in. That's going to be for the third and final shear. Obviously, we want to open up with some of the uh, necessary background just so that you don't think we tricked you into coming to a Torah and science year and use Hanukkah as a, as a uh, false uh, pretext. Thank you. There you are. Oh, uh, the lawyer. Okay. Very good. So, um, so I'll start off by pointing out that um, today, especially, Torah and science uh, are often seen as a, in fact, someone, I won't say who, um, when they were initially making a flyer for it for this year, they presented it as a boxing match, you know, Torah against science, right? So it's, uh, but, um, you know, is that indeed the case? Is that, is that how it needs to be? Is it, is it a head-to-head -head and we have to choose one or the other? Um, we know that many great scientists were deeply religious men. And we know that many deeply religious men were scientists. So, you know, the Rambam being one of them, Lahavdil um, of Havdalos, you know, Newton being another, right? Um, so, Clearly, it's going to be a little bit more complicated than just saying, you know, that it's it's a, a irreconcilable dichotomy. So if that's the case, if we do see clearly that as little as 100 years ago, um, I think most scientists were religious men, uh, and now the term militant atheism has become like a day-to-day -day, uh, thing that's used or used and basically many scientists view it as their uh, religious duty to assault um, you know religion so you know what is that and um, and the other final question is have we seen this before is this is this the first time that uh, science is ever turning on religion or is this in fact, maybe the replaying of an old script that has resurfaced. And I think you can figure out what I'm going to say. Uh, and it has everything to do with Hanukkah. So that was the, that's the, uh, the little bit of Hagdama we're going to get, the context. 
like I said, we're going to do a lot more of that in the third and final installment. I know about final, never final, but third installment. So first of all, science, the new Greece, the new philosophy. Um, we all know, understand. I, sh I should take a step back. I'm going to do a little bit of uh, right now just discussing knowledge, approach to thinking, approach to what is uh, fair thought, what kind of thoughts um, are, are kind of beyond bounds, etc. And, and then, then we'll launch into some actual, uh, some of the practical applications, some of the practical discussions that I'm sure <clears throat> people have been looking forward to. So number one, is it a coincidence that more or less science, the great scientists began, there was always, you know, man understanding things about the world, but tremendous scientific breakthroughs began in Greece. Whether it be math, uh, you know, from Euclidean geometry to, you know, Aristotle uh, organizing all the species and the subspecies and the and all that stuff, uh, is that a coincidence with their um, philosophical pursuits? Or is it, in, in fact, one's a manifestation of the other? So step number one is uh, the philosophers were people looking for order in the world. So that's what they were. A scientist is a person looking for order in the world. Um, of course, monotheism allowed for the for the greatest order because once you identify everything as going back to one source, so then necessarily um, all order is. Uh, Trace back to one source, as opposed to you know, if you were to have a uh, um, giant uh, wrestling arena with different, you know, the poly. Um, no, no, no. Pantheon. Thank you. The, pan the pantheon. The right. The 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 pantheon of of uh, of of uh, gods, right? Wrestling with one another. So sometimes you would could have. Uh, one result, sometimes you have a different result, and and therefore things can be very unpredictable. And there's, there's no point trying to figure out because it depends which one of the you know gods got the upper hand this morning, right? So uh, so so the Greek philosophers, number one, Aristotle, going through, if my memory serves me correctly, twenty-two uh, step philosophical proof concludes with the fact that God is one, monotheism. Right? And that more or less propels them into the scientific pursuit that they that they went on to, as opposed to um, the shall we say the the the, the simpletons, you know, the, the the commoners, the people that were uh, still continuing to worship idols in in Greece, which. We know there was uh, there was some uh, conflict between the two of them, but that was uh, the 
you know, the, the Kuzari says that that's basically, that was just like some remnants that the, the, the Greece who still, because they'd been idol worshippers in the past, who's still, who's still going, uh, uh, etc. But it was, uh, it was already um, more a tradition, a tribute to the past. But so they, they, they were, they were, so in that regard, we have a lot in common, with them, right? So that means the monotheism looking for a single cause and everything that's, uh, that's perfect. Um, in fact, the, the Ramchal and Das Tumus tells us that Hashem created the world in an organized way, in a way where his, where his actions are systematic and um, go in a step-by-step development so that man should be able to know God. I mean, it's a, the, the Ramchal and Das Tumus, Simon Mem. Uh, really making us see the, what we saw in Parsha's Vayetze, last week's Parsha, Yaakovinu saw a sulum of Artsa, Varosha, Magia, right? There's a ladder that the legs of it stand on the ground and the head of it reaches up into the heavens. That's exactly what the Ramchal says, that Hashem acts in a step-by-step progression. It's called Hishtashus Behadraga in a, in a ladder-like manner so that we can climb back up the ladder, retrace those steps that Hashem takes in whether it be running the world or, or guiding or creating the world uh, and be able to uh, interact. So that's all very good. Uh, the question is, we will discuss a lot more, but the Greeks were brazen. Brazenness, a trait that we know, the Mishnah Perkyavos tells us, will land a person in Gehenna. So the Greeks embody the trait of brazenness, which we'll talk about later. So the question is, do we see that in science? So brazenness, uh, naglist, uspa. Exactly. Okay, we got any, any other languages? We got them all. Okay, good. All that are necessary. Um, so, uh, scientists is uh, the pursuit of science. In fact, many scientists say the rules of the game are right. The rules of science are. I'll quote just a, a nice little synopsis of a rule. The number one rule of science is I you know, picked up somewhere. Incredible uh, person trying to expl- explain science. The number one rule of science is let us see how far and to what extent we can explain the behavior of the physical and material universe in terms of purely physical and material causes without invoking the supernatural. Okay, That is a number one rule of science. So that's the rule of the game. So therefore, you, you, you're not allowed, in science, you're not allowed to say, oh, well, this was actually a miracle. This was actually supernatural. This came from the spiritual world. Now, it doesn't mean that it's not true. It just means you're not allowed to say that. Now, why are you not allowed to say that, Kirill, being a scientist? You never heard of such a rule? Like, the miracles in terms of the things that you don't understand. 
Ah. You're, I see you're a deeply religious man. But the concept is like this, that if a scientist were to resort to claiming things to be miraculous, they would actually be doing a big disservice to humanity. Right? I mean, there's a big benefit to making such a rule. And the reason is because once upon a time, people used to claim all sorts of things to be miraculous, right? The, the, uh, I don't know, perhaps, you know, static, you know, like where something moving without anyone touching, oh, this is, this is a miracle happening. It's actually happening through static, right? So, so all sorts of things, if a person doesn't know, the easy answer is to say it's a miracle. It's happening through supernatural causes. So the thing is that the things sometimes are rare. Sometimes things, sometimes things uh, happen. You know, many, many. That's um, many complicated things that perhaps a number of different uh, physical phenomena have to interact at the same time in order to have something happen. Right. So then, in other words, they would be, as they're saying. So let's look for, let's look for a rule. Let's look for, for a uh, cause, right? That, uh, that that we can stand, that we can explain. Being that we cannot explain, being that we cannot understand supernatural miracles. So let's try to understand. Uh, what we can understand, and, and let's try to take that, what we can understand, in other words, the physical, and let's apply it to, let's assume it applies to every single scenario and and pursue that. And, you know, they've had a lot of success because um, the world is built in a in a very, like we said, you know, in a very rational way. She built the world in a very rational way. So, therefore, uh, this uh, this approach is a, it's a good rule of thumb for for a scientist to have okay, that's the benefit of this rule so the definition of science is using purely natural explanations to explain our world the benefit of it is that it helps you to figure things out the danger is that it can lead to an absolute denial of anything transcendent, of anything supernatural, of anything miraculous, it can lead to a denial of the imminent God, of, of a God who is involved in the present. And indeed, we see that happened with the Greeks themselves. Say, wait a second. Rabbi Shulman, didn't you just tell us that Aristotle went to a 22-step proof to prove a monotheism, to prove one God? And says yes, but they also, in an attempt to define God, we'll talk about more about that in the third year. In an attempt to define God, they said the following reasoning: being that God is perfect. Perfect means you can't change because if you change, then you now become not perfect anymore. So, God is perfect. God is unchanging. Now, this world is changing. <laughs> and God has perfect knowledge. And that knowledge must would be even of this world. 
So if he has knowledge of this world and he and his knowledge are one, so the moment something changes in this world, it's a change in God. And that can't be. So what's the only solution to that? <laughs> okay, I guess there's a okay, those but, but again though that, that would be a lack that would be a lack in him that would be uh, not perfect. Okay, so that would mean that he doesn't know or that he and his knowledge are not one. So I'll just cut to chase. What what they concluded is what's called the disinterested God. Meaning that it's not that he can't know, is that he has no interest in knowing he is so he does not know anything that happens here, right? Totally disconnected from, from anything here. Um, and therefore, just whatever kind of rules emanate from him, uh, those are those comprise the rules of uh, nature of, of the world, and everything runs only in accordance with that. And being that this guy is completely disinterested, never gets involved, never that does miracles, never violates any of those rules. In other words, mother nature. In other words, mother nature. That's the conclusion. So you have you, know, you have monotheism, but the conclusion is no imminent God, no God who's involved, and the the entirety of everything is being run by the laws of mother nature. Okay, so that's I'm just showing you that the brazenness of Yavan of Greece led them to such a such a conclusion because that's that we'll talk about that more, gives them absolute control, absolute definition, absolute knowledge of God. And uh, the, the militant atheism or the term that some people have now begun using, which I think is quite appropriate, scientism, the religion of science, has, is, is doing the same thing. It means to say, there's no room for anything else. Science must completely uh, have absolute control over everything. Okay. Um, so just continuing in that line of reasoning. So the concept which was uh, absolutely pervasive in science up until uh, for sure 50 years ago, it's called deterministic science. In other words, the, the scientists had come up with a less than a handful of uh, laws or, or you know, principles and, and uh, everything in the universe runs according to those laws. And uh, yeah, they, they were even pursuing the grand unifying theory, which would be the single thing that would then explain Everything you'd be able to explain everything. You'd be able, to, just like if you imagine a you know a good physics student and a very complicated ping pong machine, right? So if you see where the ping pong is located, and you see the speed with which it's moving, and you're a good physics student, you know what you're going to be able to do? First of all, the entire path that it took to get to where it is now, right? And figure out the entire path that it will take. Henceforth, right? That's determinism, absolute knowledge, absolute knowledge of everything. Okay. Um, now, there is a, and, and this is uh, 
as we mentioned, the Greek philosophers also were striving for absolute knowledge, absolute knowledge of everything. Okay, and uh, you run into an interesting question: Can the effect be greater than the cause? Right? If if something came out of something else, something was was created by something else, something was generated by something else, can that thing be greater than a source? Seemingly, the answer is. No, it cannot, right? That's a, that's a pretty basic, it's a pretty basic premise. And yet, if you think about it, the moment you say that man can know everything, knowledge to know something, to define something, means to be bigger than it, because you can contain it. In your mind's eye, you can contain it. You may not be bigger than it physically, but your mind is bigger than that thing. If you can understand that thing, that thing can't understand you. Right? Which vessel fits into which vessel? Right? What fits into what? So the to claim absolute knowledge of, of all existence means that your mind is the greatest, biggest thing out there. Okay? If, there if, if I said to you, can, you know, this, uh, we made a, I don't know, uh, so there's an ant, right? This ant, and he would like to know what you're thinking. Is that reasonable for an ant to know what you're thinking? No. Why is it not reasonable? Because he's so much smaller than you are, right? Not smaller in the physical sense, right? but smaller in the intellectual sense, right? So if, uh, if whatever it is that you can know, it means you're bigger than it. It's a little bit of a tricky concept. Uh, anybody want a clarification on that? Ask, uh, you feel free to ask. Is bigger than humans? I mean, what, the, the ants can't understand us, we can understand the ants. So what is it the thing, what is it exactly the thing that we can't understand? So let's say, so let's go, let's talk, let's talk about the philosophers for a minute, right? So seemingly the cash on them, which is actually what the morale has on them, is God is bigger than the human mind, right? Not bigger in the physical sense of the word, but bigger in every sense of the word, Right? So just like an ant stands no chance at understanding your mind, you stand no chance at understanding God. And that's something that a person has to, has to think about and has to reckon with. If you can define it, it means you understand it. Can the, can the effect be greater than the cause? Can the thing that comes out of something else be bigger than the thing it came out of? Well, if, I have like a, if I have a number and I subtract something from it, can the thing that I subtract from it be bigger than the, than the original number? Really? 
existence is not negative, right? Right, so that let's say that, that energy that's, that's going to do that, right? That energy cannot be greater than the energy that was contained in the original thing falling or whatever. Right. right. But I mean, to connect this to the, the last point about certain physical causes, is you really run into a problem with mind and mind as a substrate. What do you mean? Um, you can measure the qualities of mind, but you can't really physically. Uh, capture, measure, mindedness. We haven't yet. So, so this is a is that you just to psychology. I'm getting lost. You're 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 asking right now on what I'm saying that the effect can be greater than the cause, or you're going back one step to earlier. What we were talking about going back one step to saying that if we can understand the mind that is trying to understand all things, we still haven't gotten to the first side. I mean the mind itself. The mind itself. You say you can't even know yourself. Yeah. So how? So what? What's that? What chance do you stand knowing God? Okay. Right here. I mean, we're, I mean, we're good, right? So if, like, we're saying that we can't fully understand the Shem, then it would follow that we can't fully understand ourselves because. Okay. Good. Good. But they're they're trying to you know they're they're not going this way, right? This is, uh, you're pointing out that this is a uh, something that we believe. Good. I like it. Um, so, but but again, the, the point being that this is a philosophical problem that the morale raises with the philosophers themselves is that they are coming out that the effect is greater than the cause. Think about that, okay? Seemingly, there's one solution. Solution would be that the if the effect were to be the result of multiple causes. If you have an effect that's a result of multiple causes, then it can be greater than each one of them. That makes sense because you add, you add, right? So you could take out a piece from here and a piece from there, you add them together, it can be bigger than each one independently. Okay. Um, perhaps this is what Paro meant when he said, quoted in Yeheskel. Denial is mine, and I made myself. I, mean, I am the ultimate, I am the final, you know, culmination of all these things. Man is the culmination, is the pinnacle of all these different forces and all these different entities coming together. Man is that, is that pinnacle. That's why he's actually the greatest, he's the biggest, and that's why he can grasp everything else. Okay. If the if the effect is not, it doesn't have a sole cause. Doesn't have a one. Doesn't have a single cause because necessarily that cause should be greater than the effect, right? But if it if is the culmination of multiple causes. Then the effect could be bigger than the cause. The, 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 the both of them. Because it. Right. So then this effect will be bigger. So again, so if I take 
a little piece of clay from here, a little piece of clay from there, a little piece of clay from there, from three different baskets, I can end up with more clay than there was in any one basket. Yeah? Yeah. Um, but to a certain extent, what that forces a person to go into is idol worship, right? Where the sources that you come from are smaller than yourself, and you can now understand them, you can grasp them, you can manipulate them, etc. Uh, but but whichever scientists were looking for the grand unifying theory, you're looking for a grand unifying theory, it means you understand that all those causes ultimately connect back up to a single cause. So then you come back to the same problem. Just an interesting thing to think about. Okay. Uh, the good news is for us that the determinism has basically been left by the wayside by scientific community with the what they claim to be conclusive uh, understanding that randomness must exist, that there is randomness. Right? Randomness, uh, uh, the entirety of quantum mechanics more or less built on, on, on randomness is non-deterministic. It means to say you cannot just by seeing where the where the uh, ping ball is located, you cannot figure out where it came from, nor can you figure out where it can go because there's random uh, things. Now, that's uh, that's interesting. What, what what does it mean, random? Anybody want to tell me what does random mean, Charlie? What if that? What if like you're really smart? What if this one's very very smart? Then can they figure it out? Well, it might not be random for that person, but it would be random for somebody else. And it was without known cause. Without known cause or without a cause? Without known cause, because there can't be something that does like things can't just be. They always have to be where there has to be something it comes from. So it's oh. a known cause. Okay, so what you guys are touching on is a, a extraordinarily key point in this discussion, okay? Because if randomness is what some would call true randomness, means the thing is absolutely random, it's something that has no cause, if such a thing could be. Now, Jesse's pointing out that philosophically one would be hard-pressed to to understand such a thing philosophically, something happening without a cause, yeah? But if one could believe, have, have a, a strong enough immuna in randomness, then one would be, then, then one would be uh, rescued from this problem, right? It's, uh, uh, because randomness then can generate all sorts of things and, uh, Perhaps there's a back door to the, to the quandary, the philosophical quandary that we were in. How can the effect be greater than the cause? Well, the answer is, well, because if there were some random things in between, there's some random movements in between, you could have gotten bumped up a few notches, or maybe even many notches, and you could end up greater than, 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 uh, than the thing that made you. Okay. The other, the other approach, of course, to randomness is to say that what is scientifically proven 
by Bell's theorem to be that there is randomness. In other words, what they're saying is we've discovered the glass ceiling. Right? We, 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 randomness is there's no physical, not there's no known physical, there's no physical cause for this to go one way or another. That's random. There's no physical cause. But so one person hears that and says, that's it. So, okay, so this is, it's called random. Another person hears that and says, oh, in other words, you're telling me there's a cause, like Jesse said, but there's no physical cause. So what does that mean? That there must be a non-physical cause, a non-physical cause, or a metaphysical cause. Okay. And last week's parsha, we saw the may the big showdown about this: is randomness absolute or perceived? Anybody? In last week's parsha, parsha's Vayetze, we saw the big showdown between absolute randomness and perceived randomness. That's right, exactly. And Lovin was such a diehard, such a diehard, absolute randomness. Is that for six years? Can you imagine? First year, you took out like all the the gene pool was like, pretty clean. There's like not too many of these speckled and and the banded uh, and and patched uh, sheep over there, and. All of a sudden, like, like all the good sheep are, are having these type of babies. Okay, since random, what can you do? It's a tough luck. But for six years, the man sat there for six years, gradually losing his entire wealth. And he wouldn't have, he never, I mean, he could have just said, okay, you know, it's been nice playing with you. I hereby um, let you go back to your father's house. Right, we'll see you later. But no, Yaakov ultimately runs away. Lovin would have kept going. He didn't have any sheep left, right? It's like you're playing at the Monopoly in, in, in the casino and it just keeps coming out, whatever it is, you know, uh, blackjack or, you know, and, and he would not let up. Perhaps there's a, there's a hint. Perhaps there's a hint in his name. Lovin, low Ben. A bend is a result of something. Cause effect. Low bend. There's not, there's not a, it's random. It's not the result of something else. So he couldn't he couldn't uh, couldn't admit that the spiritual, that the kavana that Yaka was having was impacting on the random chromosomal crossovers and distributions which are random. That that is uh, some, one of the things that is believed to be random, and uh, and yet we believe that the supernatural, that the kavanas that are had at the time that that's happening, determine that physical result. Yeah, 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 hundred percent. Yeah. That's right. 
Okay. Um, so again, back to, in other words, what we're saying is randomness seems to be the, uh, pardon the, 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 the pun, the godsend to the scientists and the philosophers to get out of the problem of the effect being greater than the cause. But ultimately it ends up being an admission that they, they need to admit that there are things that necessarily are do not have physical causes, and that's uh, that's in my opinion that's a tremendous breakthrough. Means to say again, hundred years ago, where science was absolutely deterministic. Means if you know enough information, if if you figure out those last few equations, figure out everything that ever happened, and figure out everything that ever will happen, as long as we have enough information about what is currently the state of things there may be too many pink balls pink pinballs thank you there may be too many pinballs around to correctly note all their positions all their velocity but now we know if you know their velocity you cannot know their position if you know their position you cannot know their velocity so it's impossible okay because of this randomness okay um so now the the approach that we're going to have to science. I see that somehow 45 minutes have gone by. Not sure how that happened. Um, okay, you have to forgive me. I was planning to cover a whole lot more than this. Um, okay, so we're going to speed up a little bit. So basically, uh, our attitude to science. Science, great, great thing, right? Um, should definitely be used to try to understand the world. However, if one, and it's a good, it's a correct attitude to have. If you see something happening, first question you should be asking yourself is, what is the, what are the natural ways that this is happening? Okay. But if you know for a fact that it happened through a non-physical way, if it happened, if you know for a fact there was a miracle here, if you know for a fact that this was, there was a spiritual cause, then necessarily science will not be able to provide the correct answer because they're following the rules of the game. And the rule of the game is they're looking for the physical cause. So if you know for a fact that the cause is not physical, then they cannot provide the right answer. Now, what's going to happen when they try to do that? One of two things is going to happen. Either they're going to hit a brick wall. It means they're going to encounter certain things that they cannot, cannot explain. Now, when I say they can't explain it, I mean uh, I include things that would be anything that would be less than one in a million chances and, and down, right? Like uh, saying that uh, a monkey was sitting and randomly punching a typewriter and it may, managed to generate, uh, yeah, yeah, that, that is not called, that's not called a solution. That's called a brick wall, okay? No matter how long the monkey's gonna type, it's never ever gonna happen, ever. Even though mathematically it'll happen, Kirill will tell us afterwards, what the math says about it, right? But just the universe hasn't existed enough, even according to them, 14 billion years, hasn't existed enough and will not exist long enough for that to happen, okay? Uh, so that's called zero. That's called equal. Alternatively, they could come up with a plausibly very good, reasonable solution to, to how things happen. But again, but if you know for, if you know that that's not how it happened, then the plausible proposal they're making is just wrong. 
right? So people often invoke Occam's razor. So Occam's razor. Occam's razor is not a law. Occam's razor is a rule of thumb, right? Which means that you, without knowing anything else, if you just have to assume one thing or another, and you have a more complicated way it could be, or the simpler way it could be, you assume the simpler way. But Occam's razor is probably more, is, is so many times has been uh, not correct that it's barely a rule of thumb. Uh, one great example, again, is quantum mechanics. No one in a million years would have predicted there should be a quantum mechanics. It's so much more complicated than it would ever be. It's, it's, the whole thing is, you, you, should, you, should, uh, you should never assume such a thing. But just the point is that the math and the science, et cetera, pointed to the fact that there's such a thing. So Kamash Mulan, we learned that, that it was wrong. Okay, so the point is saying, well, why should this come from a miraculous way when I could explain how it come from a non-miraculous way um, if we know for a fact that it did come from a miraculous way, for example, through prophecy, if it was revealed to someone, right? Then, um, then that means that science is wrong. They're, they're playing by the rules, they're doing what they're supposed to do, but the conclusion is that they're wrong in that regard. Um, any questions on that before we move on to the next uh, big topic called design? Either everything is very clear or completely confusing. One of two options, there's no questions. What? Oh, that, that's not good, okay. So the question I have is, just because the human mind doesn't have the capacity to fully understand, does that mean all that we don't have the necessarily we don't have the capacity to understand, but you know, machines or AI doesn't have capacity to understand the world and, and, and what's around us through through like are, are you addressing? Are you addressing what we were speaking about before with the uh, that the effect cannot be greater than than the cause? Right. AI would be a, an effect created generated by a multiple of causes, not just one. So it, it would have the capacity to be greater than, than any singular cause. If you understand, if you understand that there's not a single cause to everything, if you understand that there's a single cause to everything, then definitionally nothing can be greater than it. There, there can, there can be supercomputers intelligent enough to have so many permeations, permutations that one of those permutations is a monkey typing on a typing Shakespeare on a typewriter, right? Like our human mind has however many gigabytes of data that we can store, but in theory there could be a storage of data that can have a completion of the world or a completion of all knowledge and its functions. Right, like you're, so, you're talking about two different things. Again, 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 again. Um, the computers are, if you think of it, ultimately boiled down to math, right? So the question is, wherever math came from, wherever that logic came from, yeah, cannot be grasped by the, math is logic. No, not logic. Okay, Matt, what? Counting. counting. Okay, so counting physical objects, physical things, right? Uh, and so wherever that thing came from, 
that thing shouldn't be able to grasp it. Make sense? I understand that, but that so you 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 just you're just making it more complicated because you're making it that it can count lots of things, has many many many. Uh, is there, is there a limit to all the knowledge? Is there is there a limit to knowledge that exists in the world? Because if there's a limit, then there is uh, theoretically a place where all that knowledge. So what we're saying is right now is that there is definitely a limit to knowable knowledge. That's what randomness is telling us. Is there is definitely a limit to knowable knowledge. And there's not big enough data sets where even random knowledge. Right. Now, yeah. Yeah. That is definitely what they say that randomness has been proven. I'm not, uh, this is already now beyond my depth to understand how they proved it. Uh, again, I believe it's called Bell's theorem. Maybe Kirill can help us understand that after Marv. Um, so that, um, that right. Because of non physical. Well, that's already that's already speculation. You say randomness is the statement. There's there's a that there is a effect that does not have a physical cause. That, that, that's that's what they can say, right? Beyond that, they can't speak because it's not not physical anymore. That doesn't contradict the action. Right back to the word. Right. Yeah, they're not saying anything about non-physical. They're saying this thing does not have a physical cause. That is still within the rules of science, correct? If, if they're good scientists, they leave it there. Uh, Isaac Newton uh, said, uh, said a very good line. He said, physics, be, be wary of metaphysics, of, of, uh, of proposing metaphysics, something like that, right? Meaning, if you're a physics, if, if you're a physicist, which means any scientist, stay in physics. Don't go wallowing into metaphysics because no, you, by what? No, they, that is an end. For science, that's an end. Science ends there. That's where physics does not go beyond that, definitionally. Now, they can, you know, people, especially very intelligent people, want to don't, don't want to acknowledge those boundaries and they could postulate they could they could say things but as far as the scientific statements necessarily and a scientific statement definitionally ends at that if something has no physical cause then the scientists cannot have anything to say about it okay um so we have uh, we have a few minutes so we'll talk We'll talk for a few minutes uh, about design, right? So um, we're going to be talking about seeing design in the world. So first of all, what what is the concept? If you see something that has a design, so then then instinctively right away say, oh, this thing must have a designer. Now, why do we say that? So so one could say, oh, well, you know why you say it? Because you live in a world, right? Of common day events and uh, and most things that you see that have a design have a designer so you've learned you're a smart monkey and you've learned 
that if you see something as the design, then you assume it has a designer. Truth is, it goes much deeper than that. Because if we define what is design, design is the harmonious cooperation of many unique distinct parts. Well, order could just be one through ten. Order could just be one through ten. That's order. But they're not they're not working together. Here talking about, you know, if you think to yourself, if you see you know, a mouse trap, very simple little thing, right? It still has six parts. And in order for it to work, all six of those parts have to work together. Right? So what makes us think that there's a designer? Answer is probability. We are great statisticians. In our minds, we're, we're able to calculate very quickly probabilities. So if I see the chance, the likelihood of this type of a stick, this is a pretty rare type of a stick with a hook on the end of it. Those things, okay, I mean, they, you, you find them every once in a while, but not so common, right? The likelihood of a, you know, of a, of a whatever is the a hammer is, uh, you know, you find those also, but not too often. So you're taking those probabilities with these probabilities. And by the time that you're done and, you know, once you, once you tighten things, the thing is, then the probabilities go just falling right through the ground. Once you have to tighten things to attach them together, right? So, so then by the time you're done, you've calculated very quickly the probability of this piece of metal with this piece of wood with this with this uh, piece of rubber all coming together, bring, being in just the right shapes where they're going to do this thing is zero. It's nothing, right? Okay, I say zero means practically zero, not mathematically zero. Practically zero. And therefore, we say it must have a design. Um, rather than saying design, wouldn't it all be possible or rather to say that it's designed, therefore, have a function? So you say like a harmonious cooperation. Function is that the, all these things are working together towards one goal. That's called a function. Harmonious cooperation means. Toward, right. They're all right. That's still all a part of seeing the design. So when you see the design, you say this is the probability of this happening randomly so small that it could not have happened unless some other force who had this um, this goal in mind went and put them together. Um, I, I'd have to think about it. It's not, it's not, a, it's not a, a core concept. It's the effect of the design. Okay. The hammer, right. Like you put right. Together, like you can get the same thing by taking a rock and beating something with it. But you put everything right. together, the function is leverage. Okay. So that effect is the cause of the design. <laughs> the design is the cause of the designer. Design is the cause of the design? Or is like the, the designer or the, the effect of the designer. Sorry. I guess uh -huh. what, okay. I'm, what I'm trying to get at is that you look at something and you, you say, wow, this is designed. This is a very low probability that this would have come together on its own. Right. The next question to ask is why? And that's where. Why what? By the way, I, why, is there, why is it a philosophical question? But, but just I know that it didn't come about by itself, which means some other force. With those probabilities, 
right? Put these sticks nearby one another, right? Push the one into the other. And that's how I got the thing that I have. Otherwise, this would not have happened. It depends on what you mean by why. What you, it depends on what you mean by why. I'm being given the peace symbol, which I've learned to know that it means we have two minutes. Um, okay, so the I guess that to just chart the course for ourselves, we're hoping to discuss seeing the design, first of all, in the universe. Then we're hoping to discuss um, origins of life. Obviously, evolution, challenges to evolution, possible responses, and uh, the reason why those fail, that's going to end up being a brick wall, that we have the aged universe, another major breakthrough that we've had literally in the last, like, 50 years with the Big Bang. Uh, so we talk about the age of the universe. We'll talk about the age of the universe as well. We first, we'll talk about the aged universe. The Bechlal has any beginning to it. Then we talk about the age of the universe. I forgot, uh, before we talk about the ages, we will briefly discuss aliens as well. I forgot about that. That's back by, back by life over there, origins of life. Um, age of the universe, uh, talk about dinosaurs a little bit. Is the world flat? Uh, I feel pretty confident to say no. Okay. Looking forward to seeing everyone next week. What? Maybe I saw it somewhere. Thank you. Saw it somewhere that that's pure. I don't know if if it, if whoever's interpreting it meant that there's that there's no that there's no causality. Also, for the order, should you go with entropy? Why go with design instead of entropy? That's why I was trying to go with order. Entropy.